0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: It's hurricane season again. We've already seen some major damage from Grace and Henri and Ida with lots more to be expected, according to the experts. We often hear that the safest place to be in a hurricane is in the eye of a hurricane because that's the only place in a hurricane that's calm. But it's only calm for a little while. The calmness can change in seconds to 150 mile an hour winds. When we're in the eye, things are about to get worse. Fortunately, in the midst of every storm, Jesus is always there. We can always depend on him. Today we're going to look at the eye of the tribulation. It's another interlude between the horrible tribulation that has taken place that we've talked about in the book of Revelation and the great tribulation that is coming in the future chapters. I'm Debbie Blank. We're glad you've joined us as we continue now our verse by verse understanding in the book of Revelation. And I'm
0: co-host Jackie Sailors. As the last 3 trumpets were about to sound at the end of Revelation 8, we saw an eagle flying in heaven announcing three woes. It's a warning that not only is the terrible hurricane not over, it's about to get much, much, much worse. Following that warning in the heavens, the final three trumpets unleash those terrible woes. But unbelievably, the world still refuses to repent. What will happen next? The scene shifts to what is happening in heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation as John encounters an amazing angel in Revelation
1: 10. Did you know that with hurricanes, there can actually be two eyes? I didn't realize that until we started seeing all these hurricanes. It happens two different ways. One is when two hurricanes collide, and therefore they have two different eyes. Another is when a powerful wind comes up within the hurricane that starts to push the first eye out. But before it does, it develops a second eye before the first one's pushed out. The idea of two eyes in the hurricane is what we've been seeing in the book of Revelation. Because as we looked at Revelation 7, we saw an eye of the hurricane or an interlude, a peaceful time, a parenthesis you might call it where there was a calmness and encouragement from God as he sent out 144,000 evangelists, Jewish evangelists, that he marked for protection to share the word of God. And then we saw a great multitude who were rejoicing in heaven. Yes, they'd been martyred during the tribulation period. But the scene is not of sorrow, but of rejoicing before God in heaven. So we saw that eye of the hurricane between the sixth and the seventh seals. And now as we are between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, we see a second eye. It's another interlude between the tribulation and the great tribulation. It's a time when God gives us a further glimpse into his heavenly plan and more importantly, a further glimpse into Jesus.
0: It's an interesting scene because we do get back into a heavenly scene so we get to see what's going on in heaven John gets to see a very special mighty angel in heaven
1: well with that let's begin with Revelation 10 1. it says I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire and he had in his hand a little book which was open Okay, let's look at the strong angel. There are people who believe that this is Jesus because it has many descriptions that could be considered Jesus. He's clothed with a cloud, a rainbow upon his head. We see a rainbow before the throne of God, his face like the sun. That's how Jesus is described in Revelation 1. His feet like pillars of fire. Well, Jesus is described as having uh, feet of bronze. So we get a, a glimpse of what could be Jesus Christ here, but we have to look a little deeper and when we do, we see that it says, I saw another strong angel. The Hebrew word there means another of the same kind. Jesus is not another of the same kind of anything. And also when we look at scripture, Jesus is never called an angel. He is called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, specifically the angel of the Lord, not an angel. He's never called an angel in the book of Revelation with all that we see of angels throughout this whole book. Not only are they not described as Jesus, none of them are, but in the first chapter and then in chapter 19, when an angel was speaking to John, he fell down to worship the angel and both times the angel said, do not worship me, worship God alone. So we have to understand this is not talking about Jesus. He's a mighty angel. But he is not Jesus. There are other strong angels in Scripture. We
0: know that there's Gabriel, was a very important strong angel, and also Michael, the archangel, is a very important strong angel. So it doesn't have to be Jesus. Clearly, we'll see as we go along that this is not Jesus, because this angel is submitting to the Lord but he's reflective of the Lord because he's in his presence. We know that Moses had to shield his face when he came down from the mountain, having spent time with the Lord on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. And so there are reflections of God's character that are natural with these angels. So he comes in a cloud, well, the Shekinah glory, that reflection of God in the cloud, the rainbow about his head, that's a reflection of the faithfulness of God. We know that the rainbow in the sky shows God's faithfulness, that he's trustworthy. He keeps his promises. The sun, the face, uh, the countenance like the sun, it's just the sun shining in its strength. That again could be a reflection of having been in the presence of the Lord. So all of these things that seem to indicate it's Jesus, we know as we see this and as we continue on that it's not Jesus. But it's a very important, strong,
1: mighty angel. Keep in mind, we're in the New Testament here. In the Old Testament, he is called the angel of the Lord. The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is visible in the Old Testament. We certainly know he's visible at creation because Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is Elohim in the Hebrew. I am is a plural word, and yet the verb created is singular. So we have a God, a singular God with three persons in him. And it tells us of verse 2 in Genesis 1, that the spirit was roaming around the waters. So we know God, the father was there. We know the spirit was there. And then of course, in John 1, 1, it tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him that have been made and nothing was made that was not made through him. So we know that Jesus was there at creation. Therefore, Jesus as the pre-incarnate Christ was active in everything because he's God. But we see him working specifically as the angel of the Lord the first time in Genesis 16. It shows there that he appeared to Hagar, who was Sarah's maidservant, who was the wife to Abraham. He appeared to Hagar and told her to go back to her mistress and not to run away. That's when God says that he is the God who sees. In Genesis 22, a very important passage, it's the angel of the Lord who stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. And Therefore, Abraham offered a sacrifice to the angel of the Lord. When we think of Moses and the burning bush, it is the angel of the Lord who appeared to him there. Judges 6, Gideon, when he was called into service, a little quiet meek farmer, it was the angel of the Lord who called him into service. Well, it was the angel of the Lord who stopped the pestilence from coming into Jerusalem, into the Temple Mount specifically, or the threshing floor of Aruna, the angel of the Lord was standing at the threshing floor and he told the angel to stop the pestilence right there. So those are just a few examples of where we see the angel of the Lord in scripture. If you look for the angel of the Lord, make sure it's the angel of the Lord and it's specific. And also the angel of the Lord is only able to do things that God can do. As we look at those, they're not simple things that angels are called to do but only examples of the character of god
0: and the angel of the lord being the pre-incarnate jesus christ would be called that in the old testament but in the new testament jesus comes in the form of man he comes as a baby to be raised as a human being to be the son of god and the son of man and so he doesn't need to be referred to in that other pre-incarnate
1: state anymore because that's not the way he is in the new testament absolutely right let's go on and describe this mighty angel that we see In Revelation 10, continuing on in verse two, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Now we see the voice from heaven and I believe this to be Jesus Christ. It could be an angel. It doesn't specify, but he's giving specific instructions as to what he's to do. And he tells John to seal up these thunder judgments. John did not seal up, nor was he told to seal up the seal judgments or the trumpet judgments or the future bowl judgments that we'll see. But he was told to seal up the thunder judgments. I often wonder why, but then I think maybe God's thinking, I don't want to give them that information now because I want to show them myself right now. I want to remind them of the importance of looking up to heaven and worshiping me and honoring God right now at this point in the tribulation god has given them every opportunity throughout the tribulation he wants to give them another chance and he doesn't want to focus on the judgments before he moves on to what will be the great tribulation
0: so it is interesting to see those words seal up we've seen them in daniel where daniel was supposed to seal up the prophecy because it wasn't for his time it was for the end times it's for us now But to seal up in Revelation, a book that's called Revelation, that we're having all these things revealed to us, it's interesting to see that there is still that one thing that he wants to have sealed up, and that's whatever the seven thunders are, whatever the seven
1: thunders say. That's right. Now, getting back to the strong angel, he's got his foot on the sea and on the land. So we're going to see that in verse 5 when it says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. Here you see this angel recognizing God, the almightiness and the power of God, acknowledging who God is and his power. In this case, it says he's the creator. He made everything on heaven. He made the seas. And he's in control of all things. And this angel is acknowledging that. Now, we have seen Jesus before he was crucified, how he acknowledged that God is the creator God and all the power and strengths and characteristics that God has. So some people would say, well, this is just Jesus acknowledging that. But I don't read it that way. I read it as this is an angel acknowledging the power of God, the character of God, the love of God to seal up these seven powerful judgments that he didn't want us to see because they were so terrible. This is the only thing that's sealed up in the book of Revelation. There's a reason for that. And I believe it's because God wanted the focus, again, during this eye of the storm, to be on him, to be lifting our hands up to him, to be worshiping him as the God of heaven, to be trusting in him for everything that people needed. Also,
0: when the angel raises his hand to heaven and says, you know, swears by the creator he is, again, acknowledging, as you said, that God is the Lord and that he is merely an angel. He's a creation because if he were Jesus, Jesus himself was the agent of creation. Scripture tells us that. So he wouldn't be saying that about the Creator if he were Jesus himself. So we know two or three ways in that same verse that this is an angel, not Jesus Christ.
1: And quite frankly, I don't want to focus on that. If you believe something different, that's not going to be the end of all things. The important thing to know here is that the folks... Focus in the midst of our storms is on Jesus Christ, lifting our hands to worship him. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He's living to make intercession for us. According to Hebrews 7.25, we should be looking to him because we need his intercession in all things, especially at this point in the tribulation. People need him. Now, we know because we've lived with him on this earth that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us even again in this tribulation time he doesn't take the storms away from us he's not taking the storms away from the people here he has taken his church out at the beginning of this because according to romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so he's taken us out but these people who are here are going through the storm and many of them are martyred god tells us in psalm 23 that wonderful psalm that most of us know in verse 4 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We need to hold on to those promises, knowing that in the midst of the storms, whether it's the tribulation, which is the context here, or the midst of our storms in our lives, that Jesus is with us. And boy, is that powerful. During one of the most difficult times of my life, I was walking one day and I had run across a verse that I was memorizing. And it absolutely hit me at that time because of my trial in first Peter five, 10, it says after you have suffered for a little while, that tells me that I'm going to suffer, but it's only temporary. There will be an end to it at some point. So after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, that tells me I can trust God. He's full of grace and love and mercy who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That means that God wants to use these trials in our lives to perfect us, to make us more like Jesus, to strengthen us, to have the power to walk through the struggles. And he says, confirm us in Christ and establish us in Christ. That's a promise that no matter what we go through, we can hold on to.
0: Debbie, as we've talked about the voice from heaven and how comforting that is, and you and I both know that as we've gone through our own storms in life, how comforting it is to hear God's voice through His Word and through prayer. I'm looking at some of these other verses, At 1 Peter 5.10. There's another verse that really gives us hope, and that's Romans 5, 3 through 5. We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that's such a comfort.
1: It is because it tells us that we're not going to get out of tribulations. The tribulation, yes, but tribulations or struggles in life, no. We are to exalt in them. As I look back in my life, the most things I've learned about God and about his word are going through trials and tribulations because they've caused me to dig my roots deeper with the Lord and in his word and knowing him and knowing how he wants to walk me through this. So we need to exalt in our tribulations instead of seeing them as problems. And those tribulations then develop that perseverance that we need, which is the long suffering, the continuous, a will to walk through it with Jesus. And the perseverance then develops our character our bond. I would not be the woman I am today without the trials that I've walked through. So our character is developed. And then through our character, we have hope, the hope of the future with Jesus Christ. It's not about the present. It's all about the future because this is an evil world. It's full of trials and struggles as well as good things, but bad things are going to happen. And I want my hope to be on Jesus, my eyes to be fixed on Jesus, my life to be, fixed on him because that's the only place I'll find hope and joy in the midst of life. And as it goes on to say, hope doesn't disappoint because of God's love, which is poured out in us. If we will trust in Jesus, he gives us the amazing ability to walk through everything. As I'm reminded of a time when my son was born with a major medical issue, And I'm not going to go on the whole story, but I will tell you of one circumstance where I was devastated because he was getting ready to go into surgery at four months of age. I was a crying wreck, which is not me. And I opened the scripture and I found a verse in scripture that says, he who loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's in Matthew 10. And I read that and I thought I was loving my son more than I love God. I was trusting in my situation more than I was trusting in God working through that situation. And when I saw that and I repented, I had the joy of the Lord that was absolutely remarkable. I was excited for his upcoming surgery. I was trusting God for what he was going to do. And I was even rejoicing that God might choose to take him if it would benefit him and his will, even though it would crush me, he would teach me and grow me through it. I was actually excited to go to the hospital. Now that blows me away because human nature is anything but exciting. But when we trust in the Lord and we walk through with him, he takes care of us. And by the way, we went to the hospital the night before and getting ready for surgery the next morning. And the next morning when it was time for surgery, the doctor walked in and said, I've never seen this before, but the water on his head has receded. And therefore we don't need to do a shunt today. We will at some point, but we don't need to do it today. And I know you don't want to until it has to happen. So I'm going to let you go home. And oh, by the way, he never needed that shunt. So God works amazing things. He wants us to turn to him more than he wants us to focus on the situations, And then we let him work in the midst of trials. That's why he's showing himself in the book of Revelation like this, as the voice from heaven, as the one who's in the midst of our trials. And remember what Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary when we wait on the Lord and trust in him for everything.
0: With that promise, we see the mighty angel swearing that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets.
1: Is that a marvelous promise of hope then that seventh angel hasn't sounded yet. We're still in the sixth trumpet being sounded. We're not yet to the middle point of the tribulation, but it's right around the corner, he's telling us, he says, the mystery of God is finished. What is mystery? The Greek word is mysterion and it always means something that we didn't know before that wasn't understood before. It's the locking up of something that now is going to be revealed. And what is that? It's Jesus Christ being the victor. It's Jesus Christ coming soon as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's Jesus Christ as we'll learn in the seventh trumpet that he and his kingdom are now going to come. They're not gonna come right away, but they're going to come. The mystery of God, and it says, is finished. I think of John nineteen thirty, when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. At that time, he had died for our sins on the cross. His job was done. Now, obviously, he was going to be raised from the dead, but the really horrendous part of Christ's life where he had to become a human being, humble himself, take the torture, the pain, the sin that we have on his shoulders, that part's gone. It is finished. That's what he's saying here. It is finished. From now on, Jesus is going to begin to reign. Now, let me give you a little idea into our next lesson that we're going to talk about. But think about it as a wedding. When you get engaged, you say, I'm getting married. Are you getting married tomorrow or next year or three years from now? You're not giving a time frame. You're just saying it's happening. So when it says here that the mystery of God is finished, it's not a time frame. It's according to the aorist tense. It's a reality of an event that's going to happen, but no implication as to the timing of it. As a matter of fact, it's the subjunctive mood which means that it's there's an uncertainty as to the timing of this but it is happening and it's going to start with the blowing of the seventh trumpet
0: so we switch a little bit here because it says now John hears a voice from heaven after that scene and he hears them speaking with him saying go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the land And so he went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And the angel says to John, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Now that's really kind of an odd thing to say, but students of the Bible have seen something like that before.
1: So what does that mean? We have in the book of Ezekiel, and we'll look at that in a minute. Before we do, let's look at who this voice is coming from. It says, and the voice which I heard from heaven. This is the same voice he heard before. We believe that's Jesus Christ because Jesus has the authority then to tell him to take the book and what to do with it. And it is a funny thing because who's going to eat a book and why would you eat a book? But God has a way of using word pictures to get our attention. He did that in Ezekiel chapter 2. He says in verse 8, You, son of man, listen to what I'm speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving to you. Then I looked, behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. And when he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. You see, when we see a scroll like this in prophecy, we're talking about lamentations, mourning, and woe we saw the scroll that Jesus was holding in his hands. In chapter six, when each of those seals were opened, that was mourning and lamentations and woe. So we're gonna see the same thing here. With Ezekiel, it was a little different because in Ezekiel chapter three, verses two and three, it says, so I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I'm giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. It didn't become bitter in his stomach as it does here. That's the word of God. And the word of God is always sweet. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste? That would make the sense that this would be sweet as it was for Ezekiel. So God's words are always sweet. The aftermath, the lamentations, the woes, the mourning, the problems, the trials, the tribulation, those are going to cause stomach problems as they do here with John. It's God's way of saying, what's going to happen now is going to be horrible.
0: There are bitter consequences to taking in the sweet word of the Lord. So those who witness for him, there may be bitter
1: consequences. In verses 10 and 11 now of Revelation 10, it ends by saying, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You must prophesy. It is necessary for you, John, to continue to prophesy and tell people these horrible things that you have just eaten, these words that you have heard from me that are so bitter to you that it made your stomach sour. You must tell them because people must know and specifically the people that need to know the peoples and nations and tongues and kings. We have talked about them before. They are the Gentile nations. The Jews have the 144,000 that are hearing the gospel with them. In this case, John needs to make the information known to the world, to the Gentile nations, so they too can hear it, so they know what's going to happen. The fact of the matter is, that if we know what's going to happen, then oftentimes we'll do something about it. We're not seeing that in Revelation an awful lot, but it is possible that maybe people's hearts will change. And aren't we glad that Jesus never gives up on us? So while it seems like our country is in the midst of a hurricane right now with everything that we're going through, with the chaos of the southern border, the withdrawals from Afghanistan, COVID and its variances and illnesses and deaths, and wow, inflation like most countries haven't seen, including ours, maybe God's trying to get us our attention so that as we read his word and we see the God of love in scripture, we will also understand the God of wrath. Certainly, the world right now looks like Jesus said it would in the days preceding his return. Whether that's days or years or decades, we don't know. But the times are really ripe for Jesus Christ's return. He's trying to get our attention before the world passes away. He wants us, the world, to turn to him. But in this context, it's the middle of the tribulation, and he wants those people to turn to him. After all, Jesus loves us, he's with us in the midst of our storms. He is our strength. He will walk us through our trials if we will turn to him. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18 reminds us, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory fall beyond all comparison. In other words, don't look at our problems. Look at the eternity. Look at the far picture. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus now before it's too late, before the rapture takes place and we're gone. Those of us who've believed in Jesus, but those who haven't believed in Jesus are left behind. So let's turn to Jesus now. Let's look into his glorious face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.